Hey friends, thanks for joining us for the Cinemarga Podcast. Just so you know, this is an adult podcast. We're grown-ups, and we do use adult language, so you are going to hear some swears. You're also going to hear two friends geek out about movies that they love in the first half of the podcast, and in the second half of the podcast, you're going to hear us get super deep talking about the psychological, spiritual, and mythological themes that we think is what the movie is really all about. If that sounds like fun, thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Cinemarga Movies to Die For. We like things to be black and white, and part of growing up is realizing things are so much more nuanced than that. One of the failures of evangelical Christianity right now is they still want to act like the persecuted minority, and they can't accept the fact that they're now the most powerful majority. Lazy satire is just pointing the finger at the other tribe, and I think good satire is when it makes you look at your own tribe and say, like, I'm part of this absurdity. You read the story of, like, Noah's Ark, and you don't get that it's satire, and then we teach it as a kid's story, and it's not. It's a tragedy of genocide. And yes, we just compared the movie Starship Troopers to sacred texts the world over. Welcome back to another great episode of the Cinema Martyr Podcast. My name is Ryan, and I'm joined, as always, by my favorite conversation partner, Mike. How you doing, brother? Always good to see you, buddy, and always good to hear your melodious tones. Very, very, very stoked to talk about this movie. I am yeah, super excited about this one. Yeah, this is going to be. I think this is going to be a good one. There's a lot to a lot to talk about in this movie, um, but uh, let's just do our normal catch up here. How have you been? I know. Um, so right now, at, at our time of recording, we have not released our last episode uh, due to some logistical reasons that we're not going to get into. But this episode that we're recording now may or may not come out before our last one. We, we're not sure about that yet. Uh, we're still trying to sort that stuff out. Um, but it's been. What a month since we recorded last. Sure. A lot has changed. Yep. Um, so how has, has life gotten better for you? Busier, less busy? You know, how, how you been, buddy? Oh, man. You know, I'm good. Life is busy. Um, the funny thing is I was thinking uh, a few things when I was thinking about doing our catch up. I was like, what have I been watching and reading recently? <laughs> and so the funny thing is, is the thing that I've listened to the most lately has been our last episode, <laughs> which may not have been recorded yet because we've had so many challenges getting the edit on that one <laughs> that I feel like I've listened to it like 10 times. But it, honestly, so. talking about the X-Files with you is one of my favorite conversations. Yes. So it, it's it's. I, I can't yes. wait for it. Uh, and if the <laughs> listeners are hearing this before that episode, uh, probably my favorite one that we've recorded so far. So yes. stoked to look for that. I feel today like Johnny Rico on the drop ship getting ready to, to like plunge into Clendathu because earlier today I got my third, not first, not second, but my third COVID shot oh, because wow. I am an immunocompromised person and the New Mexico okay. Board of Health recommended. So when gotcha. I so when I was getting the shot, the tech that gave me the shot was like, so um how'd you react to the first two? I said, you know, second one was pretty rough. I got mm -hmm. I got pretty sick with that second shot. She goes, Yeah. And she just kind of had a look on her face. So I go, okay, what are you hearing about the third shot? And she goes, Third oh, one's well. a doozy. Yep. She goes, third one's a doozy. I'm hearing it's yeah. a lot worse than the second. So she's like, maybe don't plan anything for the next two days. Oh, so I, okay. I feel fine right now, but yeah. I, I know that's coming like a tsunami towards me. So I'm, I'm really glad that we get to do this and I get to like kind of enjoy this conversation <laughs> before I will inevitably send the next two days of sleep. But otherwise, man, you know, a uh, busy season for work, lots of school. We got a big conference this weekend, but you know, good stuff. Nice. 
Awesome. Yep. Yeah, that's man. me. That's that's great. Awesome. Yeah, I've uh, in, as uh, in opposition to. Uh, the last episode we did, I've actually gotten back into being able to go outside again and, and hang out with some friends, which has been super, man, ah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Uh, Laura and I did our first kayak trip down the river the other day, which we, you know, we, we've been kayaking for a few months uh, since like the beginning of summer um, on the lake. And we did our first trip down the river the other day. And we went through some class two rapids, which Ooh. for- seasoned kayakers is nothing you know no big deal but for us uh it was our first time doing that and uh it was a little it was a little scary Uh, i'd never done that before um and so but it was fun it was great we made it through our you know our kayak we don't have skirts for our kayaks because we're not really doing whitewater stuff so we got some water on the boat we had to pull over and empty the kayaks and stuff but man Oh, it was a great day on the water. It's been the weather up here has been beautiful the past week. Um, it's been like that perfect, like just warm enough to be comfortable to be out on the yeah. water, but like chilly enough at night to like, oh, we had a campfire the other night with some friends. Tom and Garrett came over. Uh, it's been a good, it's been a good couple of weeks, man. Um, Dude, I'm glad so, to hear that. Yeah, I'm glad to hear yeah. that. Autumn is coming. And, uh, you know, I, I hope you can come out and visit us here in New Mexico when the world uh, calms down because we, I've done some of the best camping I've ever done in my life the last few weeks. Also, <laughs> uh, we don't have time to get into this, but uh, camping with friends uh, in Jemez, New Mexico, two or three weeks ago, friends had the most epic UFO sighting I've ever heard of. Yes. Something really crazy <laughs> flew really, really low over our campsite. Story for another day. Okay. But yeah, okay. cool stuff, buddy. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I you, dude, the pictures from that camping trip that you uh that you were on, man, whoo. I gotta get out there, man. That is some uh, gorgeous country out there. Wow. Yeah, it it's so it's beautiful. so much fun. I I I fall more and more in love with New Mexico with each yeah. week that goes by. Yeah, no, it's a very, man, those, it's just so grand, like where you were at on that ledge, uh, looking down into the valley with the river below or the stream or whatever it was. Um, Yeah. That is some, that is just takes your breath away. We were parked, yeah, camped right on a cliff. It was rad. That's awesome. And pictures don't ever do that type of stuff justice. So I can't imagine um, what it looked like. Um, It was epic. I also recently made the transition to sleeping in a hammock, which I don't know why I I haven't been doing this my entire life. It's the greatest thing ever. And is it an enclosed hammock? Does it have like a root, like a covering over it? So it has it has a bug net integrated into it. It'll hold five hundred pounds, and then in a pinch, there's a rain there's a rain guard that I can put up if I have to as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great stuff. Great man. That's awesome. Great stuff. Man. Yes, sir. Well, it sounds like we've both been having some good adventures and life is <laughs> uh COVID aside, I think both yes. of us are having some good yeah. uh some good hangs here at the end of yeah. summer before we get into fall and the inevitable well for me anyway, the inevitable dark of winter. Um, yeah. um what Oh about- no, we we get it too. We get oh, it okay. too. Yeah, winter yeah. winter's legit. Um okay. We don't get the snow, but it, it, you know, there'll be, when we get, winter gets rolling, it'll be dark before I get out of the office at the end Mm. of the day. You know, 5 p.m., the sun's already down. And that's the worst. That is, to me, with my seasonal depression and stuff, man, that is, that is a hard one to tackle. Um, But, uh, but yeah. Um, Anyway, what about uh, movies, TV shows, anything aside from Starship Troopers that you've been into the past month since we talked? Uh, I'm loving Ted Lasso. Season two, I know some people are, are back and forth about it, but uh, there was there was a plot element that I suspected they were going to introduce for a long time, and they just did it two weeks ago, and I knew it was coming. So uh, that adds a little bit of tragedy to Ted Ted's backstory, which uh, I, I kind of saw that coming a while ago. Um, so I've been enjoying that. I started watching Reservation Dogs, which I love, which is a great oh, show. Okay. 
Um, and I just the other night uh, have been watching the show What We Do in the Shadows, and I just rewatched that movie the other night, and I love that movie so much. It is so much fun. Hmm. Um, uh, that and and jumped into the Alien franchise again recently. Oh wow! Uh, okay. Yeah, so so which kind of I think maybe is might might have even been what put me in the mood for this movie. So fun stuff, all good stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great, man. Yeah, dude. I, so at your recommendation and my buddy Tom's recommendation. Uh, the other night, Laura and I were looking for something to watch, <clears throat> and I said, oh, man, I really wish we had Apple. Uh, you know, I don't want to pay the extra whatever it is a month to do that thing, but uh, everybody's saying we should watch Ted Lasso. And she's like, oh, you know what? I accidentally subscribed to it the other day. Somehow she was, like, re-upping something. I don't even know. Anyway, she uh, accidentally subscribed to Apple. I'm like, well, we're watching Ted Lasso now. And, dude, we watched the entire first season in one night. We were up to like, two 2.30 in the morning. It's and, so like, great. That show is is legit that first season is so effing good i was literally on the verge of tears the entire series the entire season dude i was like i don't think i've seen a show that has that much heart like maybe ever how great is the dark game oh my god the dark game is great maybe one of my favorite things that ever happened on television on a screen period yeah, I mean, I know lots of people are talking about that. That was, that was the one that my buddy Tom was like raving about and stuff. And like, but there's, I mean, we, you mentioned this, and maybe we should just do an episode on that, at least on the first season of Ted Lasso, because yeah. holy crap, there is so much to talk about yeah. in that show that is, oh God. So, listeners, dear listeners, watch Ted Lasso. It is, yeah. like, remarkably good and i was like because yeah. i didn't i i purposely when people started saying that it was really good i purposely anytime i hear that i purposely stay away from anything on social media anything in the news because i don't want to have any clue the only thing i knew was it was about soccer and some random dude and like i was like how in the world could that possibly be an interesting show and within the first episode, I was like, okay, I'm going to be crying the entire time i watch this show oh yeah <laughs> and, and it's just it's oh yeah so well done they so just won a bunch of Emmys last night, yes, too. They did. Right? Yeah. I think uh, uh, Roy won an Emmy. Rebecca won an Emmy. Ted, uh, Jason Zudeikis won. I think they won Best Shot. I mean, it's yeah. great. It's great. No, we should totally treat the whole first season like a movie and do an episode on it. Oh I'm, my God. I'm, I'm 100% on board for that. I, I will say the only thing that scares me about that is there is so much to talk about that that would be a task to whittle it down to one episode. But. Holy crap, man. I am in love with that show. Um, yeah. I, I, we just finished it like the other night, and I kind of want to rewatch the first season again right now. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it's that good. I also have like four friends that would love to be a guest when we talk about it. So we'll have oh, to. Awesome. We'll have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah man, for sure. Totally. It'll be, that would be a blast. That would be a blast. Um, awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't think I watched anything else. We watched a couple movies here and there just to pass the time. Uh uh, nothing too exciting. So yeah, but Ted Lasso, man, holy crap. Watch that show now immediately. It is so good. Um, <clears throat> but I guess we should get into the episode. Um, yeah, man. Today we are going to be talking about Starship Troopers and, uh, we were trying to do a different episode. We were trying to actually line up our first guest the other day to be on the show and timing didn't work out. I'm about to leave for vacation in a week. And, uh, so Mike suggested this and I was like, holy crap, that is such a good idea because what a great movie this is. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> so I love it so much. Yeah, dude. And, and the funny thing is like, I, you know, the last time I saw this was probably I, a long time ago. Um, but, um, a few months ago, 
I had started to watch it and I fell asleep during it. And I, so I didn't get the, you know, the experience of, of watching it again. But on this, on this viewing, man, I was like, holy crap, what a good, good, good movie. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so let's just, let's just, uh, do a quick recap here. We'll, we'll, uh, lay the groundwork here and we'll, and we'll get into it. Uh, this movie was released in 1997. It was, uh, directed by Paul Verhoeven, uh, who is, uh, the director of, uh, Robocop, Total Recall, uh, showgirls. Um, what else? Um, I can't think. There's a, there's a million movies. This, this movie, they call this, uh, part of the, uh, dystopian trilogy that he did, which was Robocop, Total Recall, Starship, Starship Troopers. Um, and it's based on the novel by the same name by Robert Heinlein. Heinlein, right? Very yes. different from the novel. Very <laughs> right. different from the right. novel. Uh, that novel was released in 1959. And I did read that I think what, what sort of happened here was they were work, somebody was working on a screenplay. Um, and then they, somebody said, like, you realize this is very much in line with Starship Troopers, the novel. Yeah. And then that's when they sort of pivoted and just said, okay, we'll just take that property and, uh, and then make this into a movie. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, basically the book, the, the book, what the movie satirizes, the book is actually legitimately saying. Right. So the book is very like pro military state, and then the book satirizes that. And we, well, I'm sure we'll get into that as the episode goes. But right. yeah, I mean, a popular book, Hugo Award winner. Um, a lot of people I know, a lot of my friends in the military have talked about like reading and loving this book and it even being recommended reading oh, wow. in, in certain like military schools and academies and trainings and whatnot. So yeah, I mean, the book definitely has a life of its own yeah. uh, and the broad strokes are there, but, but movies very, very different. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't do a ton of research on the book. Um, but I did get the, the idea that it's, it's based on it, but they definitely switched some things up. And then obviously the satire is the big, big change. Yeah. Yeah. The book is very like pro military, um, uh, pro militaristic society. And then depending on how you watch the movie, some would say the movie is very, uh, anti military, anti militaristic society. We'll get to that. Yes, totally. Um, so a quick recap here. Uh, this is the good thing about this movie is on the surface, it is just a sci-fi action movie. So the, the synopsis of this movie is pretty straightforward and quick. Um, the gist of it is, is there's, uh, basically three close friends. Um, there's a, a guy named Rico, uh, Johnny Rico, um, his girlfriend, Carmen Ibanez, and his best friend, uh, Carl Jenkins. Um, and they're in high school. Now this is whoa whoa right off whoa, the- whoa! Let's also let's also remember Dizzy. Yeah, well, I'm getting there. All right, okay. I'm just saying because like I'm Team Dizzy all the way. We'll get to this. Oh, of course, I, just, I gotta, course, I gotta, but, but throw some love in. Of course, but but the way they established this movie, it's supposed to be their the story of the three of them, right? One hundred percent desperate ways of going. Um, Absolutely. Yes, the fourth character that is also super important is uh, Dizzy Flores. Um, but uh, the basis is there's these kids that are in high school, and I'm just going to say right off the bat, this is one of my biggest pet peeves in movies. These are not high school kids. These people oh my God. that are actors are in their mid twenties, um, at least. It, uh, annoys the crap out of me this is my biggest problem with this movie and it's my biggest problem in any quote-unquote like teen drama or teen movie or whatever is when they have 20 like 25 28 30 year olds playing teenagers annoys the crap out of me totally took me out of this and so interesting fun fact on that ryan uh initially they tried to actually cast 
role appropriate actors and and so the story is that at that point in time in hollywood there just weren't a lot of teen stars to draw on but this movie does catch a lot of flack for the fact that of course they're all they're all too old (laughs) to be teenagers and they're all so gorgeous everyone is like model level attractive um all you know neil patrick harris had been doogie hauser and the rest of them had all been on 90210 or those types of shows soap operas whatnot uh but but something i think the director did on purpose and again a thousand percent get to that like it's it's definitely what a lot of other movies by accident do he intentionally did right down the middle totally and i have i mean i do have my critiques of this movie that i'm like you know that sort of bug me uh but but you good pun but you, <laughs> uh, but you can't argue the fact that he was very, very intentional with literally, I think, every single decision he made in this movie. Uh, and, and most of the critiques of the movie back in the day were critiques that were missing his intentionality. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, Absolutely. Uh, so anyway, uh, let's, uh, the, the, the synopsis of this movie is those three best friends um, – they are graduating high school and they live in, uh, I think th- this said the movie is set. Hold on. The year is supposed to be 2197. Uh, so it's set in the future. And there is this thing called the United Citizen Federation, which is uh, this, glo- I, I guess it's global. Am I wrong in that? It's, it's a global sort of government. Um, and basically uh, these kids uh, in this, in this federation, you have civilians, which are your average uh, normal people, and you have citizens. And the only way you can become a citizen, uh, which which gives you the right to vote and stuff like this, is if you do military service. I believe that's the only way, right? I don't think there's Absolutely. any other. Yeah. yeah. So, so you have to be in the military to become a civilian, which gives you the right to vote and partake in, in uh, the society. To be um, a citizen, yeah. And a bunch of other things. At one point, there's a, there's a character that says, I really want to have babies, and it's just easier to get a license to do that if you're a exactly. citizen. Yes. It's very dystopian. It's very um, authoritarian, very fascist, uh, you know. Um, and so what, 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 what happens is these three friends all decide to join up for the military. Basically, the girl, uh, Ka- Carmen Ibanez, decides she wants to be a pilot. She wants to join the what, what's the equivalent of the uh, Air Force, but it's the Space Force, basically. Sure. Um, and his best friend, uh, Rico's best friend, Carl, decides to join and he's going to – he – has psychic abilities, which you find out, and they put him in like the war games and like the research department of the military. Yeah, games in theory. Yep. And then um, uh, Rico decides to join basically because he wants to be in the world that his girlfriend is joining. Now, he comes from a very wealthy family, and I guess it's implied that if you have money, you can sort of s- still just be a civilian, but still have some of the privileges of uh, citizenship in a way because you have Absolutely. the money. Yeah. yeah, his it's implied that he's he's very rich. And so there's there's a whole subplot um uh, uh Carmen um there's a whole subplot with her that was like taken out of the movie. A lot of her scenes were cut okay. uh, because they didn't test well with audiences. Gotcha. Um but there's a scene where they're like, you know, making out in a park or something and he says, "How come you never let me kiss you in school?" and he's super sensitive about that and then he asks about coming over and she goes, "Well, my dad's home." And he's like, "Well, how come you you know, you won't let me be around your dad. And she says, well, my dad basically says my dad doesn't like you because you're not a citizen. So it okay. sets up this whole thing of like Rico uh, f- feels insecure about the fact that he's not a citizen, 
feels insecure about the fact that he really wants his girlfriend's approval and I guess maybe her dad's approval. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that they, they start that ball rolling pretty early in the movie. Right. Right. Totally. And, and as Mike said in earlier, uh, it can't be overstated that these are gorgeous, gorgeous people. They are, they are oh all from like 90210. And I did watch an interview with, um, uh, Verhoeven who said like, it was on purpose. You know, he wanted this to be the pristine society. He was trying to make it perfect. You know what I mean? And, and, and also perfect in air quotes because everybody's super white. I love the fact that oh, a yes, guy named yes. Johnny Rico is played by someone whose first name is Casper. And yes. wow, is it accurate? Like it's oh, the so- <laughs> most white cast ever. Um, and, 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 thought about yeah. That. <laughs> and it's, and in this particular instance, again, ironically enough, it's not Hollywood whitewashing. It's a very, very intentional move on the part of the director. Yes. Um, and I do want to come back to that because I saw some theories about why that probably was the the case. Um, I have thoughts. <laughs> yes, because they're set in the, these kids are set in Buenos Aires, but they're all very white people right. and yep. they're all very English speaking um no accents, Absolutely. you know, um so yeah, so anyway, they all join the military, okay? Um and basically what happens is they all go their separate ways. Even though they're all joining the military, they're all joining their own sort of unit in the in the military, their own path, and they're all separated. <laughs> what do you like? Yeah, and what what am I yeah, I do, because like one of my favorite scenes. So they all sign up. Uh Carl's <laughs> Carl's a psychic genius. Uh Carmen is also utterly brilliant. And then you they let you know pretty early Rico's a little bit dumb. Yes. And uh, he has this argument with his parents where he wants to look at the military and they're like, No, you're gonna go to Harvard, which is hysterical because God, I just think in the future <laughs> Where you could be dumb, but if your parents have enough money, they can still get you into Harvard. Imagine that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so I love the scene where they go in, they recruit, and there's a guy behind the desk, and he's got like a robot arm. Yes. And, uh, you know, so he, he signs Carl's paper and he goes, oh, games in theory. Next time I see you, I'll be saluting you. And then he, you know, says something great about Carmen being a pilot. And then when he sees Rico, what he is, he's mobile infantry. And the guy goes, congratulations, mobile infantry is what made me the man I am today. And, and then the camera back. pans and you can see he's got one robot arm because he lost an arm and he has no legs at all. Yep. <laughs> it's like yep. such a you just it's the, the most ridiculous foreshadowing. And I did read that that guy uh, was he did like he had lost his like that was that wasn't CGI he had lost his legs in a car accident I believe oh man um, yeah no it's it's definitely I mean they get right they kind of get right to it as far as like laying the lines very clear as far as what these different paths mean and um, you know and yeah Rico so Rico's joining the uh, the infantry um, and um so basically they all go into their own versions of boot camp um which is the one thing that kind of like the timelines in this movie get a little wonky with certain stuff number 1 Rico's in boot camp literally doing like basic training and Carmen is already flying a star destroyer like you know what I mean so like the timelines do not make well, sense whatsoever. and not only that but you know so so one of the things I'm sure you're going to talk about is is there's there's two overlapping love triangles in this movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and and Carmen's the she's the character that's in both of them so there's another guy he's you know uh the first the first third of this movie plays like an episode of 90210 yep. and so there's an Rico is like on the what's essentially the football team and Dizzy's the quarterback and then there's a guy who is the star football player on another team and he clearly is interested in in carmen yep. and uh so then they end up flying together and that's a big 
big, big love triangle because he ends up in the fleet like she does. But there's that scene where she and he reunite and he's like her commanding officer and she's like, I can't believe we bumped into each other. And he's like, well, it's not not an accident. I kept hearing about this hotshot pilot who was coming up through the ranks. So I just made sure that we would bump into each other. And he's like, I'm your commanding officer, so you're going to have to do what I say. He graduated high school the exact same time that she did. So not only does she fly through the ranks, but he's had the time to become like a commanding officer. What the hell is going on with the timeline of this movie? It makes no sense at all. And I don't care. I love it, but it makes no sense. Oh, totally. I mean, dude, the other, the glaring one, and this is totally jumping ahead in the movie, but the scene where sorry where they're in the uh, she's in the spaceship and they, they come across that ast- that asteroid that's coming through right big and big deal big pivotal right, plot and, point and they say that the bugs have sent this asteroid now mind you the star destroyer has some sort of uh technology where they can travel yeah. faster than light right okay yeah. and the, the bugs are they've established that i believe if i'm not mistaken the bug planet is eighty thousand light years away from it's, Earth. It's on the other <laughs> side of the galaxy. It's right. like it's far away. It's they show but, you a map of how far away it is. But when they encounter this asteroid, apparent by all intents and purposes, halfway across the galaxy, absolutely, it is just traveling normal like speed. Yep. Like it's not asteroids do not travel faster than light. Okay, nope. but they claim that it was sent by the bugs. <laughs> And then, like, literally hours later, it impacts Earth. Now, so somehow yes. it travels 40,000 light years in mere hours. <laughs> but I, I have a theory on that. Okay. And I, don't, I do not want us to forget this. Okay. And here it is, man. Buenos Aires was an inside job. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm convinced, right? So this is, this is a thing. So this is, this is a big plot point when this meteor comes up. I don't want us to jump ahead. So if you want me to save it for when we get to that part in the, in the story. Well, let, well let's, let me just like sort of try to, I, I, that was my fault. I jumped ahead because I was just, no, so it's all good. Some, sometimes the, the, the continuity stuff gets to me a well, little bit. And that was which a big is, one for which me. Which makes sense, which <laughs> makes sense while we're talking through it. Cause like I said, the first third of the movie plays like 90210. <laughs> then we get into like a boot camp movie. Yes. It's like a whole different movie. Also, so maybe my favorite part of the movie, by the way, is the boot camp movie. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it's, it's totally fun. Yeah, so they're in boot camp. What happens is Carmen is in outer space. She's flying this, basically, I'm just going to call it a Star Destroyer. I don't know actually what it is. But anyway, for me. giant spaceship that looks like a Star Destroyer. She is in space flying this thing across the galaxy. An asteroid comes. They, they say that it's coming from the bugs who are their enemies, okay? And that they've sent it to Earth because... Uh, sorry, I missed this point, is basically the way the bugs have been attacking Earth is they're sending asteroids to Earth, but the Earth, generally speaking, has been able to, like, blow up the asteroids as they come in because they have, like, some sort of early warning system or something like that, I guess, right? You are, are well, sort of, and and what you're doing is you're, I watched a bunch of commentaries, I've listened to a bunch of podcasts, and this is the way everybody reads, reads it. Not technically, but it's okay. really easy to miss that. So what they actually, so what happens is, uh, for anyone listening, the movie starts in the middle and you right. get five minutes of, of them invading the bug homeworld and then it flashes back and then tells all this, takes a long time to tell all this story. It takes like another hour to get back there. Right. But so in the beginning of the movie, it starts with a propaganda reel and you see them blow up an asteroid. But that's after this. 
they put up the defense ring to destroy the asteroids after the first one gets Earth. So the idea, oh. yes, and what everybody says is, is that the bugs shot an asteroid at Earth. But I don't think that's technically what happened. What happened is the way the bugs reproduce is their home world is surrounded by an asteroid belt, and they put spores on those asteroids and they shoot them out into space. And then they just crash land on other planets, and then the bugs take over the planet one by one by one. Okay. So, so it makes it sound like they shot this asteroid at Earth, but I think the reality of it is it's just been hurtling through space as the bug asteroids do, and it just happens to crash land on Earth. Wow. But I still have more to say about that okay. because I still think it's an inside job. Okay. And I, and I think it's, you're su- subtly supposed to pick up on the fact that it's an inside job. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I'll save so, that for when we get to that part of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So anyway, moving along here, basically they decide to go to war against the bugs. So they sent everybody, um, the, 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 the Buenos Aires uh, gets hit by this asteroid, this giant uh, asteroid. It blows up Buenos Aires. It's all on fire on the news. They decide, they say that they're going to war. So all the infantry guys load up in ships. Yeah, wait, do you want to say before that, uh, we get this boot camp story. And there's like a whole bunch of drama in the boot camp story, which results in in Johnny Rico actually quitting the oh, military. Right. right. Um, uh, yeah, there's like a lot of he he's doing really well in boot camp. And then he's in a training exercise at one point that actually re- accidentally results in one of his other uh, recruits Dying. getting killed. Yeah. And then he gets whipped. Yep. Which is like a thing. Like yep. they strap him up and give him administrative punishment, which means they give him 10 lashes with a whip. And then yep. he and then he resigns because he feels like a failure. Right. Um his girlfriend, Carmen, Please. sends him this like video diary breakup letter. Uh so he's devastated because he feels like he joined the military for the wrong reasons, which is for a girl. He got someone killed. And then he's literally like quitting. He calls his parents to ask them if he can come back home because they've disowned him for this choice to join the military. And while they're having this like tearful reunion conversation, they both look up in the sky and they're like, oh, it's getting really dark. Yeah. And the call cuts out and you realize the asteroid has destroyed Buenos Aires. Right. And so then he goes and, and basically asks to come back because his everyone he knows has been killed in this right. attack. So he has nowhere to go. Yeah. yeah. So he decides not to quit. Yeah, you're right. That was important. Sorry. I was skipping over all that stuff because I was, but anyway, yes. Uh, so he decides to not quit the military. Um, he goes back into his, uh, commanding officers, which by the way, who is that, uh, that one actor, man? Um, oh, which one? Cause they're all great. I mean, um, yeah, there are a couple of really good actors in this, but the guy that was in Shawshank Redemption. Oh my God. Clancy Brown, right? Clancy, is it Clancy oh yeah, Brown? dude. Oh yes. yes he's yes, 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 yes. so as, as drill instructor Zim. Oh yes. my God. I mean, he's great in both those movies. Like he's great in Shawshank and he's also really good in this movie. Dude, too. He's so good. I think he's also the bad guy in, in the first Highlander, which is one of my favorite movies. Right. Um, well, not funny, a good movie. As an aside, great. the funny thing is about this movie is it's like you said earlier, and we'll get to this, uh, um, but the main cast seems to not be in on the satire or like the what's actually going on in this movie. But I believe that it feels like the supporting cast, like 
Oh, was and they they're all actually know. they're sort of pulling the weight of what's yeah what's happening. they're they're chewing the scenery. So Clancy Brown is the drill instructor. Michael Ironside, who starts out as their high school teacher and is the one yep. telling them like <laughs> violence is the supreme language of the human species and how democracy failed and the military and the citizens needed to rise up to save humanity. They are they are playing it like so over the top you you can tell they're 100 yeah. percent in on it and, and i think I, that's why i love the boot camp part so much and then what's i forget the other guy uh clancy's sort of um superior but he's he's uh hank from breaking, breaking bad, bad. Yep. yeah yeah he plays really well in this movie too yeah he's um, very good um so anyway back to our timeline here they uh so they go to war right so they send these all these guys uh to the to the bug planet they invade this planet and it is a bloodbath the 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 bugs destroy i think what did they say several hundred thousand troops i think several hundred thousand die in one hour yeah they do like a normandy style invasion which by the way is a fantastic scene like the music (laughs) i was saying this earlier you don't remember this the music where they drop on that planet is so good and i hope you edit a clip and it's it's i run to it from time to time because it has this like bomb 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 it's so oh my god it's it's epic bomb 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 but yeah they just show up uh, they start taking fire in space because there's these bugs that can shoot plasma out of their ass into space. Yep. And so the ship's guards start getting damaged, which they didn't expect. And then they just kind of like roll out, yep. um, marching across the terrain. And the bugs, the bugs come out and just rip them to shreds. They are yep. not prepared at all to because fight they this said, enemy. I think at one point in the movie, don't they say something like the 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 plasma that's shooting out of the bugs' asses, they say something to the effect of, like, it's just light or whatever. Oh, yeah, they, they said it'll, it'll be light and sporadic. Yeah. And then the captain at one point is like, this is not light or sporadic. Somebody screwed up. Somebody yeah, made exactly. his mistake. Somebody made a really intel. big mistake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and um, they get wrecked. They get destroyed. They get completely uh, destroyed, which is where the movie starts, where it's at this point in the in the storyline where the this is where the movie had started, right? Yeah, you see, so the very first scene in the movie is them invading the planet, and it's told through the perspective of a newspaper reporter, and because it's all, it, you know, it's all propaganda, and right. it's all about how, you know, it's a bug planet, it's an ugly planet, and they're there, and they're going to destroy it, and then the bugs come out and kill everybody. And you actually see Johnny Rico, you think he he gets killed, he gets impaled, and he gets pretty messed up. Uh, And then, right, and then it flashes back, and now it takes us at least an hour to get back to this point again. Exactly, yeah. So then they retreat, uh, they do a full retreat. Um, and then the, the sort of the, I guess the high command, uh, general or whatever decides to step down because it was, he's going to take the blame for this failed invasion. They install a new, um, general, I guess is what it new is. New sky marshal. Yep. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and they, they kind of regroup and they decide to, they, they plan a, a new invasion. And at this point is when I think, is this when Neil Patrick Harris's character says, that there's got to be a, a a brain bug, someone that it's, there's a bug that's in charge. Whereas all the other bugs have been, from our perspective at least, mindless killing machines. Right. So what happens is, uh, right, this one Sky Marshal resigns. The other Sky Marshal says, okay, we're not going to do a head-on assault. We're going to mop up the outer planets that have small bug colonies on them. By the way, based on the island hopping campaign in World War II. Okay. Uh, U.S. forces took Japanese forces head on. It did not go well. They changed their strategy and started doing the island hopping. So then they, um, they get reassigned because only Rico, 
um, uh, Dizzy and their buddy Jake Busey, who they pick up in boot camp. By the way, <laughs> another one of my favorite performances in the movie. Like, I, I don't know why there weren't more movies with Jake Busey. He's so great as the, like, obnoxious. Yeah. Initially starts as kind of an enemy and then sort of becomes Johnny's sidekick. He's fantastic. Yeah. They get reassigned to... Uh, a new unit, which is supposed to be the most badass unit in the military, has the most bug kills. You find out they're the ones who actually saved Rico's life when you thought he died. And the uh, they're, yeah, Radchek's Roughnecks, who yeah. turns out to be their high school history teacher, come <laughs> back now as the most badass military commander of all time. And then they get sent on a mission, shenanigans happen, and that's when you realize that, yes, Carl, who's now zipped through the ranks of military <laughs> intelligence, has has sent them on this sort of death mission because they suspect there has to be a brain bug that's letting the bugs use high strategy and they're trying to catch one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> by the way, that's another one of those timeline things that makes absolutely no, no sense. No, no. He is literally... So, so for those of you who may not have seen the movie, Nazi imagery is all over this movie, uh, especially in the uniforms that the officers wear. Um, and especially when you get to Neil Patrick Harris's character, when he is like in his full glory, again, mind you, this is one year after he entered boot camp. He is now like a top ranking officer and looks straight up like an SS officer. Oh my God. I read that on set, they called him, um, Doogie Himmler. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's so obvious this is the thing like how anyone did not get it was a satire at this point he's wearing the full trench coat with the high collar he's got the hat and the shoulders yeah it's and even the insignia they have like the eagle insignia oh my god there's so much stuff and um the funny thing is too you can even pick up on it earlier in the movie because before he has that full get up on there's a scene of him like i think it's on one of the newsreels where he's He's got the boots on. Like he's already yeah. started his his yes. transformation. It's already started to happen halfway through the movie. Yes. And again, this is all happening in a year's time from entering boot camp. And now yeah, he's like top absolutely. military official. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my god, it's so ridiculous. Uh, but anyway, just to sort of wrap up the summation of the movie here, basically they go back, they um, shenanigans ensue, they find the brain bug, they capture the brain bug. The last scene of the movie, which is one of the places where I do think the movie, as far as a, a straight up action movie, I think it kind of fizzles out a little bit. Um, but they capture the brain bug. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris, his character comes in. He's psychic, by the way. He puts his hand on the bug and he says, it's afraid and everyone loses their mind because not, not only have they, they captured their main enemy, but they've beat it into submission to the point where it is afraid of them and now they have control, right? Yeah. And that's pretty much the summation of the movie. I mean. Oh, but um, there's so much more and we're going to get into it. There's yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So many, so many subtle subplots. Oh, totally, totally, totally. Um, but I will say just on a surface level, let's just get to the surface level sure. of this thing, which is. As a sci-fi action movie, I think it's pretty good. Like, it is a pretty fun ride. Yeah. Um, It's done in a very campy way. Yep. um, Which, again, serves the satire more than it serves the the action movie side of things. Um, But that's the one thing, as far as an action movie standpoint, where I do think this movie failed a little bit was at the end, because they have this big battle... And then you don't actually see the bad guy get caught. He just is 
caught at the end and he comes out on screen. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I feel like it fizzles a little bit on the ending as far as an action movie goes. I also do think there was a missed opportunity with the satire at the end, but we can get into that later. What did you think about as far as just a surface level action sci-fi movie? How does this movie feel? To well, you? yeah. And we'll talk about that. Cause I think the fizzle at the end is also <laughs> on purpose. Um, at absolute, like, first clip, if you don't pick up on the fact that it's satire, like I said, the first third of the movie is an episode of Melrose Place that sets up two love triangles. Yep. The next third of the movie is Boot Camp yep. that also furthers those two love triangles mm-hmm. because what happens is Rico's in love with Carmen, Dizzy's in love with Rico. Uh, Carmen doesn't know how she feels about Rico but loves him. And then her her co-pilot, who's like dude what's his name i don't remember his name um xander or something like that is into her and he's pursuing her and and so the it gets more and more complicated in boot camp rico's pissed that dizzy followed into boot camp uh even though he followed carmen into the military shenanigans ensue then the last third is a full-on war movie that has some really really great epic battles with giant bugs that look really good by the way i think the special effects hold up it's the same people who did Jurassic Park and uh, and the CGI and the combination of practical effects. Yes. Who was the also combo. the guy who did stop motion on Star Wars. Yeah. The, the Amazing stuff. <laughs> Amazing stuff. And they and they combine CGI and all that uh, CGI and practical effects so well. Um, uh, Carmen thinks Rico gets killed at one point because he's mistakenly listed as, as killed in action. Yep. Uh, Rico and Dizzy finally get together. In the, in the third act of the movie, because he, you know, his commanding officer says to him, you know, never pass up a good thing. He gives him this advice. Um, she gets killed. Actually, I'm sorry. He kills her. She yeah. gets grievously injured by a bug that impales her. Did you see this in the scene? It like that big bug pincer like stabs through her and impales her. And the first thing he does is run over. And I'm like, no, don't pull it out. And he pulls that giant thing out. Exactly. And exactly. I'm like, you just killed her, dude. Yeah, well, she I is 100% going to die. You like, she's basically impaled with a telephone pole and he yanked it out. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then it culminates in, he keeps getting promoted, a rescue operation where he goes, uh, the other love interest, both the love interests in the other ends of the triangles get killed. And Rico and, and Carmen sort of get back together and the good guys are like, hey, we captured this brain bug while while Johnny Rico was busy rescuing his ex-girlfriend. Someone else went and accomplished the mission and yeah. now we're going to win. And, right. it, and it and it is it is, um, you know, a campy, dumb action movie at that level, yeah. I, which I find eminently entertaining. But I will tell you. Um, uh, and I'm going off on a tangent right now and I apologize. I love this movie. Part of the reason I love this movie so much is because my brother loved this movie. My brother loved it, watched it, watched it over and again, read the book, told me about it. And I swear to God, he must've told me the entire movie in real time because I've seen this movie (laughs) dozens of times, but I still hear his voice telling me. 75% 75% of the lines in the movie. Oh, like wow. even to say where the, where the commanding officer comes and he finds Rico in the tent and he's there with, with, the, yeah, <laughs> with these, because they finally got together and he's like, be there in 10 minutes. And he's like, who's in there with you? And she's like, it's Flores, sir. And he goes, make it 20 minutes. Like yeah. it's such a, um, such funny thing. But I remember him telling me about it, but he prepared me for the weirdness of what it was. Yeah. So I went in, but he didn't know it was a satire when he told me about it. 
Okay. That's the thing that's crazy. So even experiencing it as a super campy action movie, mm. um, which is famous for like bug action and naked shower scenes. Yeah. I still like with my expectations set, I think it's a lot of fun at that level. I don't think it's going to change anyone's life, but I think it's a lot of fun at that level. No, totally not. Because, because the choices the director made in keeping it campy like that, it's definitely a like it's more of a second rate action sci fi movie. It's one hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's but that's on purpose. Like he did it's, that. Yeah, way on purpose. One hundred percent B movie with with occasional A movie special effects. Yes, and that's what I was gonna say. Hundred, I, I agree with you a, a thousand percent. The bugs is uh, mainly I would say what I would call the, I guess the infantry bugs, the main bugs in the movie. They hold up a hundred percent in my opinion. They do not feel out of place. Some of the bigger bugs, like the big, um, the 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 ones that shoot the plasma out of their ass, and the big, uh, there's another big bug. They feel you can tell it's CG. It feels a little dated. Yeah, uh, flamethrower bugs. Um, but the main bugs, man, they feel great, and they do a really great job, which they were doing. They did this in Jurassic Park, where they got those uh, some of the practical scenes where they were picking up the actors and like yep. about to rip them in half. Those were practical effects that they melded with the CG, and it works really great. Those scenes yep. are all still they hold up, and I didn't even flinch for a second to think that it didn't feel right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there are some, like I said, some of the bigger bugs they feel a little bit eh, not great. But for the most part, CG holds up. Um, the one other little aside that I wanted to mention, I do not know if you picked up on this or if you read about this, the biology teacher. When they're in class doing yes. the biology, doing the, did you know who this was? From the Golden Girls, right? Yes. <laughs> it's Rue McClinahan, who is Blanche from the Golden Girls. <laughs> is I... the biology teacher, and her face is all burned, which they don't explain. Yep. And she's got these weird, uh, like, they look like welders goggles on her on her face but she's all burnt and she's the biology teacher what a odd casting for that particular and and, yeah i i have never once picked up on it i read it on this and i've seen this movie so many times and i just read it the other day yeah Yeah. it's great wild brilliant (laughs) brilliant 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 casting and then the other the other actor that stuck out stuck out to me that i recognized this time that i never would have noticed last you know in my previous viewings was um the actor is Seth Gilliam, who is Father Gabriel from Walking Dead. He's in this movie. Oh my God, he's so young. Yeah, he's super You're right. young. I, he's now the that guy you say it, crazy, I to- gets the green yeah. goo all over his face. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now that you say it, I totally know who you're talking about. He's he's got at the end. He goes, "You trying to be a hero?" Yeah. And he's like, "I just want to kill some bugs, sir." Yeah. No. 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 It's great. Yeah, yeah. I totally never realized that was him. Well, and as soon as you said it, I, how could I not see it? And they're all so young. Like even Neil yeah. Patrick Harris looks looks like he's barely out of doogie hauser <laughs> oh yeah yeah and he was he was he's a long way from uh how i met your mother yeah 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 totally totally um or what's that other thing that he did a while ago that musical dr horrible's oh my god that, that is so much fun so good what is it called dr horrible dr horrible's something sing along that yeah. that is amazing it's a really good that one I, um, I may need to rewatch that. That's one of the I coolest just, projects I've ever yeah, seen in my entire yeah, life. That was that was amazing. Doctor Horrible's sing along blog. Rad. There it is. Yeah, oh my I, god, I gotta watch. I that need tonight. to rewatch that. Yeah, that, I remember that being really, really, really good. It's so good. Yeah. So this movie was '97. Yep. Um, I did not see this movie in the theater mm-hmm. because in 1997 I was going through a Pentecostal holiness phase, oh. and there was a solid. <laughs> 
solid year or two of my life that I did not watch television or movies. Would I don't remember it was been, a year or two. Would this have been when you went down to uh, yeah. Brownsville? Yeah, the Brownsville Revival. Yep. Yeah, man, I remember this so, time. I did that for a year or two, like no movies, no TV, didn't didn't uh, kiss my girlfriend, none of that. Oh, and then boy. it took me took me about a year, and then I was like, this is stupid. Uh, <laughs> and I also actually kind of, you know, like re-encountered religion from a different perspective, and I was like, I don't I don't think this is what this is actually about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so so then I have like I said this really really nostalgic memory. Of when I was like coming out of that phase and kind of going back to normal life and being being a lifelong movie buff, my brother just so excitedly telling me like you got to see this movie, mm. and it kind of flew under the radar, right? Because it it didn't make a lot of money. It barely made back its budget, if yeah. I remember correctly, and yeah. it was not well received. It got terrible reviews. Totally. And the and and conventional wisdom from everything I've read. You know, it did well on DVD sales, partially partially because of teenagers who like shoot 'em ups and boobs. Right. Um, but also, you know, from from what I've I understand, when you go back and you read the reviews, people were talking about it glorifying fascism and violence, and they just did not get that it was a satire. Yeah. And I don't know if it's if it's the post nine eleven world or what it is that now people get it. Yeah. They're in on the joke, and it's received in a completely different way. I, I rewatched it the other night. Uh, with my buddy Peter, who I hope comes and does an episode with us sometime. Mm. And he hadn't seen it since high school. And he said, you know, he goes, when I saw it, I didn't know it was a satire. He goes, I've since heard that. And I've always wanted to rewatch it from that lens. And of course, yeah. he loved it. Right. Seeing it through this 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 way. But what about you, man? When you saw it, did you get it? Did you see it when it first came I out? I doubt it. I doubt it. I, I feel as though I don't think I watched this in the theater, but I do feel this really feels to me like it was a blockbuster movie night. Um, you know, like a go to go on a Friday night with your with your buddy, because yep. uh, I would have been sixteen at the time when this came yep. out. So probably whatever six months a year later when it was released, I was seventeen. We had our licenses. We probably went to because I do remember watching it pretty early on when it was you know, right soon after it came out. Yeah. Um, but I definitely did not see it in the theater. Um, and yeah, totally. I, at the time, I probably I definitely did not get it. And like you're saying, I was a teenage boy. I was probably like, "Whoa, there's boobs," uh, yeah. and they're shooting lots of things. And yeah, that was fun, sort of. But but you know, I mean, it, <laughs> again, on that level, though, it is a pretty, it's a campy B movie. You yeah, know what I mean? Sure. On that level, um, so we probably laughed about it, you know. Um, but I definitely do know. I don't know when, maybe. I don't know, 10, 15, 10 years ago or so, I probably watched it again and like got it. Like, oh, okay, this is obviously the, you know, again, it's, it's, it's kind of hard for me now to like, to watch this and, and put myself in the position of folks back then, critics and whatnot. Yeah. And not get the, the blatant Nazi imagery yeah. and not get that this was satire because in what world would people, even if it was a pro military movie, what world would they use Nazi imagery to be a pro-military movie? Do you know what I'm saying? It's the, absurd because um, it's it's so overt and like it's very clearly uh, referencing Triumph of the Will. You know that Nazi, very famous Nazi yes. propaganda film. And if anybody's listening and they haven't seen the movie, one of the things the film is filled with propaganda reels. Uh, by the by, the military, whatever Earth Federation, whatever they're called, and they're so campy, they're so over yeah. the top. Um, the first you know, one like, where the the oh first one where they're all like, um, "I'm doing my part, I'm doing my part," and then a t like a ten year old kid 
comes out in like military garb. He's like, I'm doing my part. <laughs> and they all laugh. And then how about yeah. the scene where they're, they're like showing the little kids these uh, super powerful rifles and all the kids are fighting over who gets to play with it and they're <laughs> passing out bullets to the children. Like it's so obvious. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely way, way, way over the top. Um, and, and it's hard for me to understand how people didn't understand. Like even, I mean, you know, even if they would have said, Oh, it's not great satire or whatever, yep. like that, they just didn't even see the satire. I, I don't understand. I don't quite understand that. Um, the only thing I will say, and this is where I, I do think in my mind, maybe the movie suffers a little bit or, or not suffers necessarily, but maybe they could have helped us a little, help people a little bit with the satire is I think in my mind, satire is best when it is talking about the absurdity that you personally can relate to. Yeah. I think, I think satire sometimes like lazy satire is just pointing the finger at the other tribe. And I think good satire is when it makes you look at your own tribe and say like, wait a minute, I, I'm, I'm part of this absurdity. Yeah. And I think maybe at the end of this movie, what they could have done now, they could, they probably would have had to set up the beginning a little bit differently to pull this off, but would be to, cause you have absolutely no choice in this movie. The entire time you are 100% on side of the, on the side of the Federation. You are 100% on board with everything they are doing. But the way they could have held our hands a little bit at the end is to humanize the bugs in some way, is to give us an insight into them a little bit. And that would have, I think, made it a much easier satire for people to understand at the time. And I think, I think Ryan, my take on it is um, that, I, again, I hear you. And mm-hmm. I think I think what you're describing for in my taste, then clearly I'm obviously going to go above and beyond to defend this movie. I think that's the genius of the film, and here's why. Um, I, I don't think people were ready yet in the pre nine eleven world, mm-hmm. in the in the particular moment in time that the nineties were. Yeah. After the the U.S. supposedly won the Cold War, after the Berlin Wall came down. After uh, Operation Desert Shield, when uh, Iraq invaded Kuwait and the U.S. military just utterly flattened the Mm -hmm. Iraqi military and by proxy flattened Soviet military equipment, I think there was this moment of just total self-righteous American rightness um, that – Wherever you land on that, like it was a very particular time to be alive. And again, for me, like I'm, I'm relating this to my own particular journey into like Pentecostal holiness. And I remember going to promise keepers was a thing yeah. where like men from all over the country were going to these Christian Bible studies to learn about not lusting after women or like <laughs> masturbating and, and, and having integrity. And, you know, I, I was there with a million men in, in Washington DC for the million man march, all, all this shit. Like it, it was such a, it was such a particular moment in time, and I think maybe that's why this wasn't well-received is because it hit so close to home that people couldn't see it. Again, on the other side of the Gulf War uh, – uh, excuse me, on the other side of the uh, September 11th, and the tower is getting knocked down um, – we're probably a little bit more aware of the fact that our yeah. military completely surrounds the planet. Um, it, it, it's, it's not so much of a stretch now – for people like you and I to have a conversation and think about the United States as an empire 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, which back then it, it just wasn't in the in the collective consciousness yet. Also, I mean, we're seeing at the time of this recording, the last few months and weeks, we've seen the absolute disaster that's been Afghanistan. Yeah, and 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 you think about the fact that there have been U.S. troops employed. In, in the Middle East for the majority, I feel like it feels like half my lifetime. Yeah. So it's, it, I just, it just lands differently now yeah. than it would have then. Um, and I, and I think, think about like Paul, Paul, poor Paul Verhoeven, the director, he grew up in, I think, Nazi occupied Holland, yes. maybe. Yes. And so like, this is very near and dear to him. I just don't think people saw it. I don't think they were ready. Yeah. And I agree with you. I, I totally, I think, of course. I mean, even I, I watched an interview with Paul Verhoeven and um, and Casper Van Dien, and 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 he even said, like, legitimately, it wasn't until after nine eleven. I think he even said, like, a few years few years after nine eleven, that people finally started to get this. Um, but again, I just I think people could have gotten it with a little bit more hand holding if, at the end of the movie, you had humanized the aliens in some way. Yes. To, to I think make you're yourself right. realize, because the thing is, here's the thing, even while watching the movie, while watching these folks that are dressed up like Nazis, there is, in my, when I was watching it, I was on the side of these folks and I knew that I felt wrong about being on the side of these folks because they were dressed like Nazis, right? So it felt odd. It felt awkward. And obviously that's on purpose, but to send it home, I think all he needed to do at the end was to say, no, these, these are, these bugs are hum- like, they have their own, yeah. you know, whatever it was, whether they were defending yeah. themselves, whether it was whatever, I just feel like that could have held our hands a little bit to get us to that. And that's, and that's the thing. So, so hot take, the humans are actually the bad guys in this movie. Right. Um, they're living in a Nazi society uh, where everyone is shiny and white and they're fighting for human dominance of the cosmos. Um, there is one line early in the movie. There's there's two lines. There's there's when the biology teacher's talking. What's her name from the Golden Girls? Yep. And she's talking about how evolved bugs actually are. Yep. And then there's a line where the reporter says, you know, some people say we're taking a, a too hard a line with the bugs. That uh, their increasing hostility is because of humans enroaching on their space, and instead right. we should take a live and let live strategy. Right. And then that's when Johnny Rico bursts into the yeah. shot, and he says, "I'm from Buenos Aires, and I say yeah. kill them all." Right, totally. and that's it. And that's yes. and and that's the thing. I listened to um, another podcast that was talking about this, and these these two women were co-hosting, and 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 she just nailed this for me. She just did it. She said it so well. She goes, "I'm watching this movie, and I know." That the humans are fascists and they're the bad guys, but she's like, but at the end of the day, like bugs are gross. And I think that's the genius of it is because even though you want to see the other side of it, you can't help but go, but no, I got to root for the humans and they're bugs and they're gross and they're mean and they're oozy and they're icky and they're murdering everyone. And I, and I feel like for me, that's where like, that's kind of where, where Johnny Rico and, and Carmen are. Like they have no cognizance of the fact that. That anything weird is happening, um, yeah. like Johnny has no cognizance at all that that this is like destroying his life, you know? Yeah, totally. <clears throat> but I think you're right. I do think there's like if you if you don't he he absolutely makes you work for it. Yeah, because it. it I guess all I'm saying is it it. You, yes, you have to work for it. Like it takes a little bit of self awareness to 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 take the leap from. Okay, I'm seeing these Nazis. I know I feel a little bit icky about this. To 
how does that actually fit into me in the story? You know what I'm saying? It takes a little bit more of a leap, which I feel like you just you just make the you humanize the bugs a little bit, yeah. and now you're second now you're second guessing. You're you're feeling the absurdity in your own in your own life. Yeah. And, and he even said, I think. Um, I, oh, I can't say this guy's name, Verhoeven. Um, he said there was two stories he was trying to tell, which one was shoot him up, uh, space, you know, uh, action movie. And the other one was that I think he said something to the effect of like, war makes all of us fascists, is yeah. what he was trying to say, yeah. basically, was that everybody becomes a fascist when war is involved because nationalism and, and whatever, you know what I mean? Everybody gets on board, you know what I mean? You even. You know, even think nine eleven. We were all a hundred percent on board for going to get the bad guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which we ended up, you know, in hindsight, getting signed up for things that probably we shouldn't have done um, in in the service of uh, you know finding the bad guys. You know, um, so it's, or it's, or yeah, even the you know the thing of were there chemical weapons or not right. in Iraq and all this. I, was this yeah. so this is this plays into my whole like when I watched the movie in my head canon, Buenos Aires was an inside job. So because talk more about that. Let's okay, so the, that. so the bugs, this is just what they do. They send asteroids out into space to reproduce to keep their species alive. They don't mm-hmm. th- I don't think they specifically slingshot one at Earth. Okay. But the idea is that the asteroid crash lands on a planet which spreads their spores and then the insects populate that planet. So I hold on, think hold on, hold on. Sorry, pause. Do they actually say that in the movie or is this yes. in the book or is this okay? Because I they missed flat that. out say it in the movie. Okay, they say that. it in the movie. Yes. Yeah. They didn't throw a rock to throw a rock. The rock is how they reproduce. They send spores out into space and then, and then they colonize other okay. planets. I missed that. Which, so the humans are colonizing planets and the bugs are colonizing planets and inevitably right. they're going to come into each, come in, into uh, conflict. So my theory is that asteroid crash lands on Earth. Um, there's no bug infestation on Earth. Like, there's no spores on Earth. There's no mm. bugs that overrun. Now, possibly I'm, you know, maybe I misheard and I'm, and I'm doing this wrong. I'll go back <laughs> and do the research. I think that a, a militaristic government has taken over the planet Earth. And I think that in order for them to stay in power, they need an enemy. And I think the bugs are the perfect enemy for them because they're utterly inhuman they're terrifying, they're easy to hate, and the movie ends with them going, okay, now we have this thing, and we're going to figure this out, and it ends with them going, they'll fight and they'll win. But there is no real big victory at the end, and I think the idea is you're supposed to accept the fact that the war is just going to go on and on and on and on forever, and I think this is what the military wants and needs. They want an enemy that uh, is... is you know, not a direct threat to where they live, but a, a threat to their interests out in space that they can keep throwing bodies at, which justifies having the military in control. That's Oce- how I read the movie. Oceana has always been at war with East Asia, right? 1984. There you go. Yeah, they've always been go. at war. And I think I think that's exactly what he's going for. Is the um, you know did did the humans sort of pick the fight? Did they let the asteroid? You know, people always talk about, did FDR let the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor? Right, uh, right, was 9-11 right. an inside job? Or did, did someone, you know, know what was going to happen and let it happen? I don't, I, we don't need to go in on that to say, like, in the context of this movie, sure, that one ship has a run-in with the asteroid. But but as far as I'm concerned, I think I think someone's profiting from the fact that this, that this war is going to go on forever. 
Yeah, and I, I I would agree with you. I mean, as far as the inside job, I hadn't like thought about that. I hadn't looked. I a I I must have missed the the fact that they they reproduce by sending spores out on the on the asteroids. Um, now you're making me rethink. Maybe I'm completely wrong, and they don't reproduce that way. I don't know. I mean, regardless, it does say that, that there is that one scene, and I wish I would have written down what the what the reporter said. But right before when you were talking about that, right when um. Right before Rico comes in and says, I'm from Buenos Aires, blah, blah, blah. They do say something to the effect of like people are wondering. He says something like people are wondering if if they're just retaliating because we're encroaching on their their territory. And yep. there is that little hint of them being humanized in a, in a way. And then also I will say like the very, very end, there is a bit of humanization when 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 Dookie Hauser says – um, you know, he's afraid or it's afraid. You know what I mean? Like they do humanize it a little bit there. Um, but, but that's more in, in my mind that, that scene there when he says it's afraid is more in service of talking about the subjugation that they've like, it's total subjugation of this, of this race. You know what I mean? It's not just that we've conquered their planet. They're afraid of us and that we've taken over them completely. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And one of the sequels, uh, they reveal that the brain bug actually wanted to get captured. But oh, you gotta, yeah, hold you on! You go. did say, hold on. Let's let's talk about this. You you mentioned that you've seen the sequels, which I I've seen I all of them. Bother because those went um, straight to video, right? Those they they are, and there's yeah. a pretty serious demarcation in quality when you get to yeah. the sequels. So the second one, Starship Troopers Two: Hero of the Federation, has none of the original cast and is a super low budget horror movie <laughs> that takes place in the Starship Troopers universe. It's a, it's about a, a okay. squad that gets trapped on an outpost <laughs> and uh, and and and. And, you know, shenanigans ensue. It's more like a slasher movie. They get picked off one by one until they realize there's a there's a small bug that can take over people's brains. Um, okay. Okay. Starship Troopers 3, Marauder, brings back Casper Van Dien into the yep. role of, of Rico. Um, and then they finally, in that movie, develop something that's missing from Robert Heinlein's uh, novel, which is they have this giant power armor that they wear to fight the bugs. But it was too expensive, so they didn't actually put it in the movie. Um that movie is fun, and okay. I strongly recommend it. But it is B movie with B movie special effects. Yeah. So okay. and it is super cheesy. Like yeah. they they go to rescue the Sky Marshal, who is like super propaganda. Like sings a song about uh, you know <laughs> doing your part. Um, they find out that there's a god bug, which is like a bug that's half the size of a planet who's actually directing all, all everything. They get into using religion as propaganda. Um, and you realize in that movie, the twist is that this original brain bug wanted to get captured so it could study humanity and send information back to the super brain bug (laughs) and, um, and has been using its psychic powers to slowly drive the head sky marshal insane. It's a pretty, it's a pretty, it's dumb fun. It's really, really dumb fun. And then the two after that are both animated. Uh, they look like a final fantasy video game cutscene. but, um, the second of the two has part five. I think Casper Van Dien comes back again. And so if you like, like anime style human versus, bug violence they're kind of fun but they don't they don't um only the third one really dials into the satire again and it takes it to a super campy super dumb level but i will say i laughed a lot when i watched it okay (laughs) but you got you really i mean i when i watched it i was like god i wish they had the money for the special effects because the special effects are really not great in that one (laughs) that's funny yeah um, the one that I did want to mention, I read that um, Macaulay Culkin is like a huge fan of this movie. Have you? Did oh, you really? I did not it? know that. 
Yeah. And he said, and I, I do think this is kind of, this, this sort of drives home like what, um, what the director was trying to do here. Um, and, and I want to sort of caveat this by saying, I'm not a huge fan of like criticizing artists ever really, because I feel yeah. like if you have the balls to put any art out there, um, it, I, it's hard. I'm, I'm hard pressed to, to criticize people that said, obviously there are different varying degrees of good art and bad art, right? Absolutely. Um, yes. <clears throat> So I will. So so he what he says was he's he's talking about the director here, and he said he grew up in Nazi occupied Netherlands. He was working out how he was affected by that type of violent nationalism through these films, um, RoboCop, Total Recall, and Starship Troopers. In Starship Troopers, he he's skewering that kind of propaganda and greed and all all those things that made their way to America. I think a lot of audiences at first didn't know they were watching a political satire because the actors themselves didn't know they were in a satire. I like Verhoeven's philosophy going into this whole thing. It feels like he just hired some soap ap- actors and didn't really tell them there was a comedic tone. You can't really act you can't really ask actors to act badly. You hire bad actors and just don't say anything. <laughs> oh my god. And I don't I can't say that he's wrong because yeah. like it's 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 no secret that the main characters in this, like, they're no Daniel Day Lewis. You know what I mean? No. Like, like it, it, like. So it does feel as though like they're doing their best, but maybe they weren't in on the joke. And I think, but I and I think that's again, I think that's why it works. And yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to like throw Casper Van Dien or Denise Richards under the bus. Although traditionally, you know people think they're kind of there to look pretty. Right. Um, but you do get the sense that everybody else is in on the joke. And I think, but I think that's why it works because I, cause you know, like there's big things. Neil Patrick Harris's character is like trying to find the brain bug and trying to ex- exterminate the species and, and rad checks talking about how violence is the ultimate, uh, ultimate like human virtue. Um, Zim's talking about being a good soldier and Rico's like, you know, trying to survive and be good at being a soldier, uh, trying to sort out his love triangle. Carmen wants to go career cause she really likes flying and she's trying to sort out her love triangle and they never think any further past that. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, not to get too heavy about it, but there've been a lot of studies that, that like go back and look at the Nazis cause they're the most overt bad guys that we can look at on the last right. bit of accessible history and ask the question, like, did the Nazis know they were Nazis? Like, did they know they were going to come right. down on the wrong side of history? Did the average soldier, there's a, there's a really very disturbing and very important book by a guy, I think named Christopher Brown called Ordinary Men. Mm. And basically he said, you know, we think of, of most of the German soldiers and especially the ones who perpetrated these horrible crimes against humanity as these, basically they were walking serial killers who somehow came to power. But he says a lot of them were just ordinary people Right. Who made a series of small decisions to succumb to, uh, you know, a little bit of pressure here, a little bit of pressure there, a little bit of compromise here, a little bit of compromise there, till at one point you're ordered to machine gun civilians in a scenario that you have no concept of. You don't know that concentration camps exist. You don't know right. that, you know, it started with a subtle, a subtle prejudice, um, against Jews and then, it, and then it turned, you know, and so well, there's been a, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I just listened to something recently and I, I wish, 
I didn't think the conversation would go this way. So I can't remember what I was listening to, but they talked about how that was like a very deliberate thing. And it was the separation. It was the um, sort of the dividing up of the guilt of what they were doing. So like there was a person who was loading people on trains. There was a person who was taking those people from the trains and putting them into house, you know, into the concentration camps. There was a person that was putting them into the bathhouses. And then there was a person who was pulling the switch. So they were disseminating all those, all that guilt and all that stuff across multiple different people. So no one person ever felt like they were the, so it was very much on purpose. You know what I mean? Um, And, and if it's out of sight, out of mind, again, that's the thing about Johnny Rico and Carmen, she's thinking about how much she likes to fly and he's thinking about being a good soldier and, and, and he does say things about like, you know, the soldier takes responsibility to, to protect society or something like that. Right. But it, but they're not seeing that other side of it and they're too preoccupied. He's trying to stay alive and keep his friends alive. You know, that's yeah. the weird thing of, of how easy it is for all of us to miss the forest for the trees yeah. or, or miss the forest for, for, you know, just navigating the trees. Um, Totally. Well, even in like subtle ways, like the one thing that I picked up on kind of early and I didn't, I didn't realize it until later in the movie, but I don't know if you noticed this in in some of the wide shots where they're showing a lot of the citizens, um, a lot of the citizens are wearing green and, um, they're wearing various shades of green and the, and the, the, the colors of the Federation are basically just gray. And then they have like a gray green is sort of the main color. And like it, it, I realized later, like, oh, okay. So these people are there. We all wear costumes, right? Like we, yep. every single one of us Absolutely. wears a costume. I wear a costume every day, which is I wear all black because a, it's simple and I don't have to think about it. And also it's because I'm, you know, grew up in punk rock and metal and stuff like that. And that's what we all wear. Right. Um, yep. and these folks are wearing the green in their own subtle way because they just want to be a good citizen. You know what I mean? They want to be a good, uh, member of society. And, and we see that in our own society, whether it's an American flag shirt or a MAGA hat, yep. um, you know, and, and 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 most of these folks i don't think like you said like they they don't realize that maybe they're on the wrong side of history right they're, they're just trying to be a good what they think is a good member of society right? and it, and it even begs the question will they be on the wrong side of history cuz who's history like they're bug history? The history of course right. exactly yes. yeah no i totally agree and i think um and again they give you those fa- those quick flashes like there's a scene where there's a news story and it's like a guy committed a crime he's caught that day tried yes. and he's going to yes. be executed tonight yes. and it's just that quick kind of yeah. turnaround and again but you don't think about it because there's other things happening um then there's there's a stereotype i don't i don't uh, it is a stereotype and so I'm not saying it's universally accurate, but there's a stereotype that like the conservative bias is that you're so completely focused on personal morality that you don't think enough about systemic immorality or systemic injustice or systemic evil. Right. So conservative people f- obsess so much about being good just in their day-to-day life that they mm. don't recognize when they're participating in systemic injustice or evil. Mm. But liberal people focus so much on systemic uh, injustice and systemic evil that they don't take account at all for their own personal morality. Now, again, right. I'm not saying it's accurate. I'm saying it's a thought that some people talk about, but it, but it is, it is a real, um, I think towards whatever end, I think that 
the reason the teenage drama works is because you see characters who are so caught up in their personal stuff that they don't have room to ask questions about the bigger picture. And I think a huge portion of the audience gets sucked in and watches the entire movie that way. Yes. Because you're like, well, who's going to end up with who? And are they going to survive these bugs? Yeah. And oh my God, that bug is sucking a guy's brain out. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, although it is, it is interesting to me that they, they cut some of the love triangle out because it didn't test well with audiences. But yeah, that's I, did, the, I did read a little bit about yeah. that. And I, I, did, I did read somewhere too that somebody, somebody said something like, this is like one of the most expensive art films ever because of the fact that like what you're talking about is in the way that I, I think they could have driven home the satire a little bit he purposely didn't and in a very artful way because you are part of the satire and you don't even realize it most likely you know what i mean until you take the time to really sit and think about it and look at how it how you might be a part of that type of thinking well and it's yeah absolutely uh uh check this out um and I, i think it's just it's easy to miss roger ebert's uh, review oh, yeah. of this movie. This. Did you read it? Yes. Starship Troopers is the most violent kitty movie ever made. <laughs> I call it a kitty movie not to be insulting, but to be accurate. Its action characters and values are pitched at 11-year-old science fiction fans. That makes it true to its source. It's based on a novel for juveniles by Robert Heinlein. I read it to the point of memorization when I was in grade school. I've improved since then, but the story has not. And that's the thing. If you read it at that level, P.S. Ryan... Buckle up. I'm about to go somewhere. Okay, okay go somewhere, buddy. <laughs> I'm a religious studies guy, right? Yeah. Religious studies, psychology, mythology. These were all my graduate degrees are. This is the way most people read scripture and read the sacred texts of sacred religions. Yes. And that's why most people read like the Hebrew Bible <sighs> and they think it's a book that condones violence, right? If you read you read the story of like Noah's Ark. And you and you don't get that it's satire, and it is, and it is, and you're like, oh, look at this! This God, you know, destroyed all the wicked people, and he saved the animals, and and these few people, and you're and and then we teach it as a kid story, and it's not. It's a tragedy of genocide. It's a story that exists as a cautionary tale, so that every time someone says, "If God's real, why doesn't he punish all the bad people?" You go, because this is what it would look like. Is right. total genocide. It's not what we want. What happens? Like Noah gets out of the boat and the first thing he does is, is invent wine and get drunk because he has PTSD and he passes out naked on the ground. This is not a feel-good story. This is not a story to teach children. Uh, the stories of plagues and wars and, and, and these stories are not to be read at the surface level. The Bhagavad Gita is not a story. If you read it at this level, it is a story that seems to be condoning and promoting war. But it all depends on the maturity of the reader and what right. they can see or not see in the text. Yeah. No, I think can you see or yeah, not yeah. see the Nazi? Totally. I, I think you you said I think in one of our previous episodes you said something that really like clicked with me, which was the difference between reading scripture and and like uh, sacred text uh, prescriptively versus descriptively. Yes. And like that is, ooh, man, like when you, when you can switch your thinking about that, like even me who, you know, I have a lot of, I grew up in the church. I was, I was there from a baby and I've since walked away from the church. But when I can now look back at those scriptures and, and read them as a descriptive thing rather than a prescriptive thing. Yep. Holy shit. Does your perspective yep. on what it's saying yep. change? Yes. Is this story telling me how things should be? 
or is it giving me a scathing indictment of how humanity <laughs> yes. is? Yes. It's a whole different story. Yeah. Right. Totally. Totally. And, 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 and that's again, like, I mean, this, I, I was talking to Garrett today about <clears throat> actually, this is, this might get too meta for this, but we were, ta- Garrett and I were talking about you and I, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Our interaction and in this podcast specifically and why it works and, and why he's been enjoying it and why he has always enjoyed you as a person. And it's – that's the thing is is that ability to take religion, right, specifically in this in, – in what we're talking about, Christianity, which we were taught for a very long time was this very um, prescriptive like – these are your rules. This is the thing you have to do. This is the way you're supposed to treat people. This blah, 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 blah. Um, and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if this is more of a holistic view of the world? And we're supposed to say like, Hey, hold on. It doesn't have to be this way. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, um, this movie does that also, which is you have to take a step back from it and, and look at it from a different lens to, to yeah. really appreciate what it's doing. I think. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You have to you have to see like this is not telling us how things should be. Right. It's a scathing indictment of how things are. And yes, we just compared the movie Starship Troopers to sacred sacred text the world <laughs> over. And I don't apologize for it. And I don't apologize for it because here's the thing, you know, um uh most scripture at least you know, I'm I'm only an expert in western scripture, but but it it is a lot of it is satire. A lot of it is like humorous critique. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is intentionally shocking. You know, when you read, when you read a story and, uh, you, you know, you're reading a story about a, a vengeful God and you're like, God, that's not right. That's the job. That's it doing its job. Mm. You're not supposed to like it. And it's not like you're not supposed to like it because you have to accept it. It's because if you go, Oh no, I, I, I feel like if this religion says that it's God is love, that God wouldn't act that way. Great. That's yeah. it. That's that's where it's taking you. Yeah. It's asking you to question some things. It's asking you to think deeper. It's asking you to to kind of go. Mm. All right, there's there's a layer here that I've not seen before. Um, and 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 that's the point, man. So, where did we miss the mark in history in Christian history? How did we get to the point where what I would where I from my perspective, most of like modern Christianity has missed that point. Yeah. And they are 100% reading the scriptures as prescriptive. And they are saying, like, this is the way God is. This is the way. Where, again, you're, what you just said, like, is one of the main things that has taken me away from the faith, which is Christianity claims to be about this loving God. But all the stuff that you preach feels very unloving to me. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah. You know, it's a tough thing. Like, here's the thing. There's... I think this is just something humanity does, is is most religious and spiritual movements... Start with, there's, I think, always some kind of prophetic element to it. And when I say prophetic, I don't mean foretelling the future. I mean prophecy in the sense of speaking truth to power, truth to power. on behalf of a vision of how things could be better, right? right? That's what right. makes a prophecy usually is there's, there's, there's that, that sort of divine or ideal vision of how things could be better. And so what happens is it only ever takes a few generations in any movement for you have a person, that person has a vision and a message, they, they collect followers, they replicate the vision and the message, that vision and message critiques the general culture and society, starts to work for change within it, and then the best thing the society can do, they can try to stomp it out, but what's way more effective is co-opt it 
mm. and put it in service of culture. So mm. I'll give you I'll give you an old example and I'll give you a new example. Yeah. Um, we all know, like it was Constantine who was the first, uh, you know, big powerful Roman uh, general slash politician who got Christianity, you know, converted to Christianity, perhaps very legitimately, perhaps as a political move. And um, started to, as as Christians were converting the Romans, the Romans started converting the Christians to become, mm. to become you know, tools of the empire. Mm-hmm. And then that carried all through, like the dance of Christianity with empire has carried through its entire lineage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my, my great teacher, Origen of Alexandria, um, 200 years-ish after he died, was, was declared a, a, a heretic through the machinations of, of Emperor Justinian. Yeah. Um, and, and for my two cents, it's because a Christianity that teaches that um, salvation and healing is for everyone and the entire cosmos is working together to a, to a great fixing of the world, as opposed to a narrative where some people go to heaven and some people go to hell, that us versus them mentality is a lot easier to manipulate. Yeah. Yeah. And at Christianity that says, look, we're all moving towards healing, so work on your healing and work mm-hmm. to make the world a better place, that's not that's not easy to manipulate for empire. So you have things like that. Yeah. And so what we, we live in a day and age now where a lot of people now identify as spiritual but not religious because they can see that that a lot of the mainstream religious institutions have become tools of empire. Yeah. But what you don't realize is spirituality but not religious has just as easily been co-opted. Yeah. Just as easily, because it went from, you know, when you, like, uh, talk about mindfulness, mindfulness used to be a particular a particular way of, of being in the world, and it's very quickly been co-opted by a lot of big corporations. It's like, well, if we can teach our people to be mindful, then we can teach them to perform more, right? And spirituality, Oof. spirituality itself has very quickly been co-opted by capitalism and empire in insidious ways that a lot of people don't see yet and yeah. probably won't see for a generation. And that's what it does. And so for all of us, the great dance is always to find our way back to the authenticity of it and to try to notice where, you know, the forces of our culture, uh, you know, uh, some people, Walter Wink, Richard have said, this is what Paul was talking about when he said principalities and powers of the air he wasn't necessarily talking about great spiritual beings. He was talking about the massive systemic influences of the world that we find ourselves in creep in to manipulate us. Mm. And, uh, and you know, and we, we, we have to, to work for our own ways of seeing how we're enslaved by it. So it's, it's complicated stuff, man. Sorry. That's a lot of words, but the moral of the story is like, yeah, it's, it's always been there. And I, and I will say, I, it's not just religion. I don't know that there's a human institution that does not, you know, suffer the same fate. Yeah, totally. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm reading a philosopher right now who's talking about how the early contemplative mystical roots of philosophy, which was a, which was a love of wisdom, right? That's philosophia, have basically mm-hmm. been co-opted by the forces of academic elitism, you know, yeah. to become this dry, rational um, uh, enterprise that has nothing to do with what it originally was. Like, it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yes. It's unfortunately one of the struggles of being human. Wow. Yes. That's, holy shit. That's, that's intense. Yeah. Starship Troopers, man. Movie will change your life. <laughs> and and you don't need to leave this in, but to recap what you said about, you know, where do we go wrong? I think I think we're always going wrong. You know, yeah. uh, Richard, you know, Richard Rohr, my kind of teacher right now, says that 
he thinks it started in the third century. I think, I think it's always been happening. Um, I think, you know, for me again, when, when origin was declared a heretic and, and sort of the, the more esoteric inner tradition, um, got sidelined. That's when I think it really started to go wrong and became more about this big movement. But, but I think it's always happening. You know, I think it's always happening and cultures and religious institutions and spiritualities rise and fall and decline. And I I remember I had a a buddy one time who, um, was a scientist and he said to me, I don't believe in religion because every war that's ever been fought in the history of humanity has been fought in the name of religion. One, I don't think that's actually true. I do think religion has played a role in almost every war ever fought. And what I said to him is, well, that's why I don't believe in science because I think every war that's ever been fought in the history of humanity has been fought with the tools of science. Mm. And, and, and again, I, you know, I yeah. say it jokingly, but that's the point. Right. There's just the, the highest doesn't stand without the lowest. And there are very few things that we can create as a species that we don't simultaneously corrupt. And, you know, yes. and I will say this offline, you and I were having a conversation about a friend of ours who we will give no clues about who it is, but we we're talking about how, you know, there's a friend of ours who, in this particular person's spiritual growth journey, they always seem to be taking two steps forward and three very loud steps back or three steps right. forward and two steps back. And I, and I, and I, you know, um, and, and, and doing things that are seemingly so destructive. Um, yeah. and yet maybe that's just what humanity is that maybe that's what totally. we do. Yes. And I, and I can even look at like some of the things that give me some of the most pause these days is folks that I generally speaking align with taking their stances to the extreme and making, making things absurd. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I tend to lean uh, left. I tend to be a progressive, but some of the things that I see in the left and the ultra progressive. Yeah. Give me almost more pause. Yeah. Then some of the stuff that I see on what I, what you would call the opposition, the, the yeah. right or whatever, the conservatives. Um, because we take things that, this is an argument I have with one of my buddies that we, we talk about religion all the time is, is you can take anything that is meant for good and you can corrupt it, right? Because 100%. Are, humans are corruptible and, and the greater the good, it, the more it's potential for corruption. Exactly. And I think that's some of the, that's the thing that like what you're sort of what you're talking about is where I see right now some of this, um, I don't know how to word this without causing more harm than good right now with, with our listeners, but like some of the things that I believe in, sometimes can be taken to the to the extreme where you alienate people you alienate your your allies and you make things worse than they were to begin with do you know what i'm yeah. saying by 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 taking things to the extreme and even in this movie like when i was talking about the 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 folks that were wearing the the colors right um of the the green in in the movie which is is the um the color of the federation that makes me the, the thing that stuck out about this movie with regard to that was right now we're living in a point where the idea of patriotism is almost considered a specifically right wing idea. Yeah. That it's almost, um, almost like a curse word to say that you're a patriot, um, on the left. Do you know? Um, because, because there's this, I can remember one thing that like I was thinking about um, a little bit ago was with the whole George Floyd thing, right? We for a minute there we were all sort of united around like, well, this was this was kind of messed up, 
Then out of nowhere, it seemed, there was this Blue Lives Matter thing, right? And any of us that kind of push back on that, like, blanket nationalist sort of, like, the heroes are always right narrative. Yeah. You weren't a patriot. Or or you didn't want to live in the United States or something. And it's like, yeah. no, 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 no. I, I like I respect people that serve in the military. I respect yeah. people that, that that put their life on the line for for the common good. But at the same time, sometimes there's you can call out where the system itself is failing. We've talked about this on our, on a, a previous episode where sometimes it's good to call out where the where where the yeah uh, the powers that be are failing, and that doesn't mean you're not a patriot. In my opinion, it kind of makes you more of a patriot. Yeah, well, and see, I I'm with you on that because so I, I I live in a in a much more blue state, and I and I am surrounded in a in a more probably homogeneously uh, yeah. progressive liberal right. circle of people right now. So I yeah. I um that that didn't get a lot of traction out here, but I I have a lot of friends who are who are soldiers and police officers, yes. and I and I uh, and I appreciate their service you know what i mean and i don't feel like i should have to apologize for that even though i am 100 percent a lot more politically progressive and liberal i I watch this thing go down and and this is i apologize like anyone listening this is not intended to inflame an opinion i I would say more like think about both sides of this i was i was moderating a, a an online conversation group and there was one person who clearly identified himself as being a lot more conservative in a group that by and large was a lot more progressive. Mm. And honestly, I was not buying most of what he was selling. Yeah. When September 11th rolled around, he posted something and said, I just want us all to take a moment today to remember X amount of people who lost their lives in these attacks, X amount of police officers who gave their lives, X amount of firefighters. And people dogpiled on him and they're like, well, what about all the Iraqis who died? And what about all the Afghanis who died in the last and, and for my sense, as I was one of three moderators and the other two were like, oh, this guy's like him, like sending his jingoistic conservative uh, message. And I was like, what a crock of bullshit. Can you leave the guy alone for a fucking minute? Like there is, there is plenty of time. Absolutely. 100%. Yes. We should talk about all the lives lost and drone strikes and wars and invasions. But on the anniversary of September 11th, let this man have his post about firefighters and civilians and police officers who gave their lives trying to rescue people back off. Like drop your, like not everything always has to be. No, no, we've got to, you know, you can't say anything about them. We've got to stand up for this other group that we're identified with. I get it. I am with you. I am with you, but also shut the fuck up and back off. Let this guy have his moment on this day. Because the moral of the story is, if we've gotten so one-sided in our need to correct and call people out, that we cannot have compassion and empathy with Mm. where they're coming from, even on things where we should obviously agree, Mm. right? Then, then we've lost the plot. And then we've undermined our own integrity and our own ability to speak truth to power on behalf of a divine vision of things being better. Yes. And, and the thing that I was thinking about, it's funny, I was mowing the lawn today and I was, I was listening to another podcast that was talking about this movie and I was contemplating what we were going to talk about today. And the one thing that sort of like sparked in me was, was this idea of nationalism and this idea of uh, patriotism in general, right? Like, um, the idea that like, I don't think it's a bad thing to be patriotic, right? But no. somehow on the left, it's been, it's been, um, yeah, be, be, because it's been conscripted to be, uh, like 
almost like if you don't 100% support everything the government is doing, 100% of what police are doing, you are somehow considered to be not a patriot. Now the word patriot has been turned into this thing where we, like, it's a bad word on the left. You know what I mean? And and it was reminding me, and I was thinking about, like, my uncle served in in Vietnam, um, and the way we treated, like, uh, servicemen that came back from Vietnam, you know? Like, how awful that was that we treated those folks that that they were just like people that were doing their best you know what i mean and and obviously i'm not saying that we didn't fuck up and we didn't vietnam was a shit show okay sure but those people still sacrificed their lives a lot of people died they did their best do you know what i'm saying and then they came back and we treated them like shit absolutely but that doesn't mean that we can't speak truth to power and and just putting the word hero on things, yeah, we like that isn't okay either. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, and yeah. and I don't understand why we can't find that. Like, everything is reduced to their extremes, and we can't somehow come to the middle and talk about the truth of both of those. Absolutely, of those things. because it's easier. And this, I think, this is one of the geniuses of this movie. Yeah. Um, is it's easier to just take everything down to black and white thinking? Yes. Which is these are the bad guys. We're going to kill them all. We're the good guys. We have to. They're yeah. trying to kill us. We need to protect ourselves. You know. You know. In the circles that I move and groove in, they talk a lot about dualistic thinking, and and they make a big deal about dualistic thinking and non-dualistic thinking. And frankly, I think that it, it gets a little bit too complicated. It really is quite simply. We like things to be black and white. Yes. And part of growing up is realizing things are so much more nuanced than that. Um, and, and this idea that like, it's just easier to boil everything down to conservative and liberal, uh, yes. or woke and not, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, and it, and it makes me sad because I yes. miss, I miss the days where I really felt like I could genuinely be, um, mm. I don't even like to use the term moderate, but in between. And, and, and let's be honest, like, it's not just political. I'm really into nerd shit and the nerd community's fucking ridiculous some days. <laughs> like the, the, the vicious outcry within the nerd community yes. when a franchise decides to focus on its female characters instead of its oh. male characters or break up the whiteness of its cast and then everybody gets into this whole like get woke go broke like and there's a part where you're just like everybody just shut the fuck up this stuff is supposed to be fun this is supposed to be fun now in this instance we're talking about something that's a scathing and abiting satire and something that actually you know in some instances works well because some people love this movie because they think it's a great pro-military shoot 'em up and other people love this movie because they think it's an anti-military uh, uh satire right. and we're sitting here i'm going i love this movie because it makes me think and it yes. entertains me at the same time right. which i think you know really good science fiction and fantasy should do but yeah man it's it's a tough it's a tough time um, when things are quite so polarized, uh, and it's harder and harder and harder, you know, we have a really good friend who's, who's probably my favorite conservative person. And I remember he was like debating me on an issue and, and he just wouldn't back off. And at one point he goes like, dude, sooner or later, you got to pick a side. And I was like, fair enough, man, but you don't get to tell me what the sides are that I have to choose yeah. between. Right. That's, that's yeah. the, that's the challenge we run into is we, we all think we have to pick a side and nine times out of 10, both of those sides are given to us by, by someone else. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. I was having, I was having a discussion a day or two ago with, with a buddy of mine and we were talking about the internet and how I, I just, 
and we've talked about this before, but how we, how we, we're, we're just in the infancy of the internet. We don't, we don't understand how to use it. And I think, I know, I know the friend you're speaking of there. And I know that if the three of us were sitting around a campfire, we could talk about these things and the nuance would be felt. Yeah. We, we could have the nuance. Each of us could speak our truth and there would be respect there. And, and we'd make fun of each other and we'd laugh about it too, because right. there'd be love behind the mockery, which helped, you know, and, and go, yeah, okay, I see where you're coming from on that and so yes. on and so forth. But this is a person that I haven't seen in probably four years. And when I see some of the things this person posts, to be quite frank, it infuriates me and I get very angry. You know what I mean? Because the nuance of having that opposing con- like conversation is lost. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and this is, this is the problem that I, that this is the thing that right now for me is my biggest fear in society is the internet and, and our way of communicating and how we are trending towards most of our communication being on the internet. And I'm not sure how we survive this. My only hope is that the younger generation who has only understood the internet might one day find a solution for, <laughs> to figure out how to use this thing, in a good way yeah um but it, it breaks my heart because i mean we we have something coming up where uh, by the way i'm super fucking stoked that you and i are going to be able to be in the same physical location that's in right like a month and we, like dude i yeah god, i'm so fucking stoked to see you in person i can't yeah, wait to hug it's you. gonna be awesome and like i'm glad we're vaccinated i'm gonna physically hug you and it's gonna be amazing yeah um but like that idea of like knowing that possibly I don't know how the weekend's going to go, but the idea that we, the three of us, might get into a conversation about something like this gets me excited. Whereas the idea of watching this person post something and me thinking about the bullshit that I'm seeing in my head of like the the response that I could possibly say to him, that you know the zinger that I could say, you know, that's infuriating. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think this is the downside of the internet and the and the the world we live in nowadays is we lose that nuance of the personal interaction that that sort of carried us through humanity. Like, dude, the idea of the three of us sitting around a campfire and hashing this out is a beautiful idea. Yeah. The idea of the three of us arguing about some of this shit online makes me fucking insane. Well, and, I, and you know, uh, so one, Starship Troopers, I think the, the where the movie was the most ahead of itself was the way it uses media and the whole, would you like to know more? Yes, like the yes, hyperlink yes. That, that pulls you down the rabbit hole. And yes. so, you know, you know, look, mm. look, man, you know me, like I'm, I'm, you know what I do for a living, you know what I'm about and you know what my skill set is. I, you also probably notice I, I don't use social media for a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I and I have a lot of friends who are Instagram activists, and I have some people that that I think look down on me because they think I should be using my voice in particular ways. But here's the thing, I do, right? I, I feel like what I do for a living matters, and I and I'm proud of the work that I do and how it contributes to changing the world, and yeah. the organization that I work for. Um, but but social media is is a poison, you know. I I hmm. I, I use it for cat pictures. Find me at Myth Petro. I use it to post pictures of where I hike. Um, and I yep. use it to stay in touch with my friends. But it is a machine that is designed to make me hate people. And I and I am not psychologically healthy enough Oof. to engage in it well. I have friends who are. Like, I'm not making fun of my Instagram activist friends. They're great and they're good at it. I uh, my My contribution to the healing of the world goes other places because – 
I think I think there's a lot of us who don't know that we're not mature enough to use social media well. I agree with wow. you. You said this a couple episodes, and I think you're right. We, as a species, are at the very beginning of understanding how this tool is used. And I think 100 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, could you believe they just let anyone access anything and no one understood how the algorithms were going to work and what it was going to do? Um oh, you know, you read uh, read ten arguments for deleting your social media accounts right now. It didn't convince me to delete my accounts, but it did convince me to change the way I use them, because because we're all it's all a bug hunt, man. It's it's all designed to reduce everyone on the other side to 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 someone that you feel like it's your part. You're doing your part by stepping yes. on them, yes, and by arguing yes. about stupid shit online that changes nothing. Wow. The way you just worded that, a machine designed to make me hate people. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I, I heard somebody say about this movie, like, imagine if you inserted, like, because obviously uh, th- this movie started to come into its own again after 9-11, and imagine if you inserted, like, a Muslim person into the, the role of the bug. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And we're not saying that to be disrespectful to Muslim people. It's no. it's the way that it works. Yes, yes, yeah. And that, the reason I think the thing about the the bug is so tragically genius is it's something that's so completely foreign and other to us. Yes. That when you're watching the movie, like you said, you can't find a way to sympathize for them. Yes, and that's the thing that the movie does brilliantly in the fact that again, you can't help but be on the side of the Federation, right? For, so for somebody like me who has always had sort of a, a um, I've not been super pumped on all of the wars in Afghanistan and stuff like this. This movie does a really good job of 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 seeing how you could get drawn into an absolute hatred for the other. Yeah. You know, the this again you said the us us versus them, you know? Yeah. Um Yeah, and that's and that's without even getting into the, the meta commentary on nature, right? Because yes. that's the other thing the bugs are is they're sort of nature. And and yes. the and the idea of like do we cooperate with nature or is nature red and tooth and claw and nature wants to kill us by, you know, exterminating with us, us with a virus or killing us mm-hmm. with disease or baking us off the planet. Um, and so do we need to conquer nature? Do we need to get along with it? There's, there's, there's so much there, man. Um, mm. and I, you know, again, I like the movie and I, and I think really the genius though, is it's shining a light on, on, on one of the great tragedies of trying to be human. Um, yeah. I, um, actually I'm about to pivot. So if there's something else you want to say, say, no, so, no, so an interesting no. thing, I mentioned this. When I was in my 20s, um, and, and years ago when I was working as a pastor, I had three series of reoccurring dreams that I would have over and over and over again. I've told you about this. I had zombie dreams. <laughs> I had UFO dreams, which I mentioned in the X-Files episode, if we ever get that one out there. And, um, <laughs> and I had boot camp dreams. Mm. And it was, it, was, it was always different, but the broad strokes were always the same. It was the last night of boot camp. I had been drafted into the military. I was going to be sent out the next day to fight in a war. And I was always having an existential crisis because in the dream, I was always going, I'm a pacifist. I don't believe in this war. So what am I going to do when I'm actually sent out into the field? And Ryan, it took me. And then the dramatic 
the drama would be different every single time, but that's always how it started. It took me years to figure out what that dream actually meant. It took me years and years and years. Tell me. Um, what, what? Uh, well, the dream didn't go away until um, I was about religion for me. You know, being being a pastor who grew up in a family of pastors as a PK and being sort of like drafted into that that type of evangelical Christianity where we were, where the, you know, I would say the primary operating metaphor was Christian soldiers. We were Christian soldiers who were going to conquer the world. And, and, um, and, you know, there was this sort of us versus them. And some of us are going to heaven and some of us are going to hell. And that never fit for me. That was never, that was never a fit for my religion. And and I, you know, that even as someone who's like now kind of connected to a very different type of, of spirituality and, and um, in a very early, very different esoteric type of Christianity, our operant metaphors in what I'm loyal to would be, you know, the, the, it's not the soldier, it's the healer. Um, and the closest you get to the soldier metaphor is, is one person says, you know, when you, when you change your idea of what hell is, and hell isn't a place where bad people go, hell is the place Jesus went to rescue people. And if you imitate Christ, then hell is the place that you don't avoid, you invade to help. Like we're like battlefield medics, not soldiers, rushing into danger to, to to help everyone we can, and that's a different. It's a very different religion. It's a very different metaphor. But mm. I, but that that Christian soldier man was ingrained in me from the time I was a kid, and I was yeah. sent out to fight in a cause that that I didn't believe in. You know, I believe in I believe in you know me. You know what I believe. I believe in Christ. I believe in that God is love, and that love is is the DNA of the universe and the human person and. I'm 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 in it. I'm a true believer, yeah. but not in that yeah. not in that Christian soldier religion, not even a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so these boot camp movies always always uh always touch the old feels on that one. Yeah, that's I mean, for me I'm I'm having a hard time like composing myself because yeah, that that all that resonates very mm. heavy with me and um and how that metaphor in the Christian church where we came from is so tied up into the nationalism that we see now. You know what I mean? Like it's all, it's all been conscripted into this. You know, I, I say oftentimes, you know, I have, I've argued, not arguments, but debates with a friend of mine and we, and we talk about religion and I say, I, I say, I think, I think what you see as the, as, as Christianity is actually sort of a perverse version of Christianity yeah. that is actually nationalism <laughs> acting like christianity yeah. you know what i mean or maybe there's a better way to put that but it's so it's 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 nationalism that uses god as 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 sort of the driving force but i don't think that's actually christianity no. do you know what i'm saying yeah. um and, and that's the thing that that man for me is one of the heart most heartbreaking things about what i see in the modern church today is that sort of that enmeshing with nationalism and you've you've talked about this before that like anytime the religion serves the empire you're probably missing the point yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah some of the some of the best voices that i hear right now are talking about paying a little bit more attention to marginalized sections of the church specifically like the black church yep um identifying more with uh the people that are in need more than the folks that have the power. 
Yeah. You know? And and that's the place where I feel like probably we should be like that's the place where I think religion still has a voice is if you can look at that um rather than identifying with 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 empire. Yeah. You know? Or or even mainstream middle. I heard someone recently um uh Eric Schwartz our good friend who does the um uh, Evan Cynical podcast interviewed uh, a theology professor from Moravian Seminary where I started out, where he he did his degree, and he he um, he made this great comment where he said, you know, one of the failures of evangelical Christianity right now is they still want to act like the persecuted minority, and they can't accept the fact that they're now <sighs> the most powerful majority, and I yes. think I think that's the. Um, you know that's the thing that's that's so challenging is is to recognize that um and and again you know Jesus always sort of sided with the disinherited and the marginalized and and I think uh Christianity is in its purest it's a teaching it's a view that comes from the bottom it's a view that embraces suffering it's a view that is is um you know goes out and after and on behalf of those who are who are cast out by the mainstream culture and um and I think, I think there's a lot of Christianity that wants to act exactly like it's the persecuted minority when it's really, really, really the powerful majority. And, and in that, you lose the message. Um, and, then, and then you also, what you do is you lock yourself into an absurd victim mentality where you're always like, poor me, everybody's out to get me. Um, well, I, the one thing that I've seen a lot lately was – in 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 uh, in line with religion, but also just in line with in in general, is the idea that my minor inconvenience is the same thing as like a true persecution. Absolutely, and that's just it's fucked up. Yeah, like like I'm sorry, like it's just fucked up. Yeah, your minor inconvenience is like I'm sorry, but one of the things that like I literally saw was the comparison to the idea of wearing a mask to. The Holocaust to to Jews being put People in are concentration so camps. Stupid. Yeah, because it's sorry, the same. The, they're they're you you are fucking insane if you think that wearing a ask being asked to put a piece of cloth on your face is the same as people fucking being tattooed and put in fucking ovens and fucking gassed to death. Like, you know what I mean? But that's yeah. that's the world we live in now, where where everything is 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 taken to the extreme and. Yeah, and well, and we and we, we Brian said this on the one podcast. We we like to cast ourselves as the hero or the victim of our story. Yes. Oh my god! And dude, um, you, can I just say that that one? I don't know what that particular learning how to see with Brian McLaren podcast. Mike is a guest host on that season, season two. two of the podcast. You should listen to season two. I mean, the whole podcast is great, but Mike is uh, uh, one of four people on season two. Holy shit, this fucking podcast blows my mind. And that one that you just mentioned, yeah. I don't know what the name of that bias is, mm-hmm. but that thing has been a meditation on my brain for the past couple months ever since I listened to it, man. And and, and the thing about that podcast that is so hard, but is the, and it's sort of in, in line with this movie, why I think this movie is hard is because when you look at biases, it takes that extra step. It takes that extra little bit of, um, introspective introspection to say i'm going to do the extra work to say like i can point out the biases in other people yeah but how do i look at my own bias yep. and that bias of i want to either be the victim or the hero in the story but i never want to be the bad guy 
holy shit, man. Yeah. I've been meditating on that shit for ever yeah. since I heard that episode. And, and dude, we're all the bad guy in somebody's story. Like you just, that's just a part <laughs> of that. That's the, that's the, um, that's the, the great heartbreak of, yes. uh, of life. And, and, you know, um, which should, which should help us have more sympathy for how we scapegoat other people, you know? <sighs> Joseph Campbell wrote this great book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. When I, when I started my doctoral program, um, a project that I did not, one of, one of my original dissertation ideas was to do a book called The Nemesis with a Thousand Faces and basically say that most, most human stories are driven by just having a really good adversary, uh, mm. which, I, which again, not prescriptive language, descriptive <laughs> language. I'm not saying that's how it should be. I'm right. saying that's, that's how it often is, and I wanted to identify it to, yes. to then kind of take it apart. How, yeah. how much we like, you know, uh, uh, mm. uh, what's his name, wrote a bunch about, or Gerard wrote about the scapegoat mechanism, which is part of that. Yeah. Jung talks about the shadow. But this idea of like, I need a foil, I need mm. someone to be the bad guy. And it was the mm. thing that broke my heart, you know, when I started out and I was a pastor is because I would listen to other people. Everybody has a story about, you know, some minister they knew. And some people would talk about how like, you know, how screwed up religion was, but they'd be like, but I had this one pastor and he was a good guy and he was the real thing. And, you know, he was a good guy, but the whole thing is broken. And then I had other people, they would talk about all this. I had this minister and he, he, um, you know, he really screwed me up because he did this and he did that. And I was, I was sitting at one point listening to someone tell a story like that. And I was reflecting in my mind and it was like, I heard a voice say to me, you know that you're signing up to be both people and different people's stories. Ugh. Like you're going to be, you're going to be the hero that someone needs and you're going to be the villain that someone needs. And if mm. someone needs you to be a villain and that's the way they need to tell the story, you're going to have to be okay with it. Not that I choose to act as a villain. Um, yeah. yeah, man, it's tough. It's tough. It's like, it's like, um, it's like if you've ever had a bad breakup and you realize the other person really hates your guts and they say a lot of shit about you that's just not true. And at a certain point you go, you know what? This person needs to hate me right now because it's what's going to get mm. them through what they need to get through. And I'm just going to let them have it. Um, <sighs> I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. No, man, that's... God damn, I'm probably going to listen to this episode like 20 times. Like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I love it. I, dude, this is... I, dude, I don't care if... I don't care if anybody listens to this shit. This is why I do it. Because this is this so is much a blast for me. Yeah. And 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 to 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 get to like think about these ideas with you and then also to like re-listen to it and 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 think about them a little deeper. Yeah. Uh holy shit, man. What a joy. What a joy. And also I, I wanted to say this to you earlier and I didn't get a chance. Um the one thing I realized lately is not only do you and I get to do this podcast and get to talk to one another on on Zoom right now and we're and we're recording this which is fucking a joy for me but just the fact that because we have to do this podcast you and I are texting back and forth more and yeah. we are talking on the phone more yep like that is such a goddamn joy because I just know that the way life is the way that you are physically oh my god 2000 miles away from me yep and we're both so busy yes like this is such a gift that yeah. we get to stay in each other's lives. I'm, I'm so grateful for. And, uh, and holy shit, the way these, <laughs> the last two episodes, the way they went and the, the, the things we got to talk about, what a joy. 
Yeah, man. What fun. Um, I appreciate it. I, I enjoy this so much. Uh, I yeah. can't wait to see if this drops first of the X-Files episode. Yeah. Um, well, if this uh, one comes first, uh, Ryan cries the end of the X-Files episode. We won't tell you why. I'll get to listen to it. But it was, it was, it was a very enjoyable moment. Holy shit. What a good, what a, what a good time to talk. Um, Dude. we should, uh, I guess we should wrap this up. Um, do us a favor as always, uh, rate us, review us, um, hit us up on cinemarter pod on Instagram. Um, tell us your, uh, you know, your takeaways on these, on these movies, uh, give us suggestions of new movies to do. We have, a, as always, we have a million, uh, movies on our list of things to do, but, um, we're always happy to hear uh, what, what you guys have to say. Um, thank you so much for listening. This is the Cinemarter Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Awesome. Good stuff. And now, a Cinemarter exclusive. We present you with Techno Troopers. Visit Cinemarter Pod on Instagram to watch the music video. <laughs>